Welcome to the Real Time Roots podcast. I'm your host, Christy L. And today we're talking to my next door neighbor, Amy Hay. Amy and Scott Hay own Hay Ranch, a family-run ranch focusing on raising ethical, happy beef using only regenerative agriculture. Hay is a 501-acre ranch in British Columbia's Boundary Country. Welcome, Amy. So you raise grass-fed beef, right? Tell us what got you started in raising beef. Um, well, <laughs> so um, it's a very convoluted story. We are both from the maritime and yachting industries. And when I first met Scott way back when he was chief engineer in a big yacht, but he regaled me with stories of how he always wanted to raise cows and he wanted to have a grass-fed beef ranch. Fast forward 14 years and we made it happen. So, awesome. Yeah. So you're originally from Scotland. I'm from Scotland. And he's originally from New Zealand. Yep, New Zealand. Yeah, he's a Kiwi. And you met? In France. In France. <laughs> we met on a boat in Marseille and he was How actually fun. my client. Yeah. How fun. And what were you doing there? I was installing satellite communication equipment on the yacht that he worked on. And you both gave it all up and became cowboys. We did. <laughs> That's amazing. That's just amazing. Yeah. So what breeds of cattle do you raise? We have um, Highland cows, the big hairy ones with the big horns. We have Galloways, which come in lots of flavors. We have the um, Oreo cows, which are the a belted Galloway. They're black, white, and black. Black Galloways, red Galloways, um, and we have Wagyu. So we breed everything back to our Wagyu bull Ferdinand. Um, and Wagyu is a, um, a Japanese breed, so... Kobe beef, but can only be called Kobe if it comes from the Kobe region of Japan. So I think there's like five different breeds of Wagyu, but we just call it Wagyu. And it's beautifully marbled and they do amazing in the winter. Um, It just lends this kind of buttery, flavorful texture to the beef. We've actually trademarked, I think, um, Wagaway. (laughs) Oh, fun. A Galloway Wagyu cross, yeah. Fun. So what's special about grass-fed beef compared to what we can buy at the grocery store? Um... In my opinion, there's three types of beef. So I think there's your 100% grass-fed and finished. Like it's never seen any corn, oats, grains, nothing. It's just all on grass and pasture. Then I think there's one that's kind of in the middle and it's all grass-fed, pasture-raised, and they get a grain supplement just to help them put on a a little bit of weight, just a little bit of extra, but they're still out in range, out in pasture, eating grass with a grain supplement. And then you have your grain finished beef which normally ends up in a feedlot in in Alberta around here or um up in the interior and they're there for I don't know six to eight weeks maybe longer and they get fed grain lots and lots of grain corn uh starches to pack on the weight very quickly so the grain finished beef is often a lot younger it's maybe 18 months maybe two years um it has a lot of fat cap but not a lot of marbling your grass-fed and finished beef, about three years old that we finish them. More marbling, not as much fat cap. So the fat is a different type of fat. It has, it's a good fat. It has higher proteins, more amino acids, more micronutrients. Like if you were counting calories or tracking your macros and you put in eight ounces of grass-fed beef and eight ounces of beef, your macronutrients are, are different. And they, they also have more omega-3. Yes, they do. Right? More omega-3s. And and so yours are 100% grass-fed. You don't grain finish at all. We don't grain finish at all, no. We have found one chewing on a moose antler once, but... 
oh weird <laughs> minerals i guess <laughs> more something. calcium yeah <laughs> so let's talk about regenerative agriculture what does that mean how is your agriculture different than say organic farming so all regenerative is organic but not all organic is regenerative i think is one of the main differences um regenerative agriculture is based on soil health so you're grooming the soils for what you do want you're not killing what you don't want so there's no there's no tilling you don't disturb the soil you always have the soil covered so there's always got to be a cover crop for a big um a good root base and then you don't lose topsoil to heavy winds or rains or floods um you have livestock action, which increases the carbon content and the nitrogen of the soil. And just the way the cows move with their splayed feet, they kind of really aerate the soil and push all that carbon back into the soils. I'm trying to remember all the five tenets of regenerative agriculture and I'm just drawing a blank. But basically it's um, read your weeds. So you would look at your soils and it's a growing, living organism. Like there's more life in a teaspoon of soil than there is on the whole planet that people just think it's dirt and it's not. So if you're going to flood your soil with chemical nitrogens, your soil goes, woohoo, I'm full of nitrogen. I can switch off now. And it switches off and goes to sleep and your soil's, it's not dead, but it's not active. And the next year you're having the same issue. So you put on more chemical nitrogen fertilizer and you're going to get a good yield, but it's empty of nutrients because your soil's dead. Or not dead, but it's switched off. I think it's the same as permaculture, but on a much grander scale. Right. Right. Permaculture is what we do. Mm-hmm. I noticed one thing um, I have. Sorry, Justin. I have mushrooms growing in my in my soil. And I had last year I had um, these root crops planted uh, sunchokes and the um, where the mushrooms were growing. Uh, the mice didn't like it, so they left my sunchokes alone. But everywhere mm. that the mushrooms weren't growing and there was no mycelium, all those sunchokes were eaten by mice or voles mm. or whatever. And so, and of course, I had bigger sunchokes in the place where the mushrooms were growing. So absolutely. But if I'd rototilled that, I wouldn't have any mushrooms. No. Yeah. You shouldn't disturb the soil. Like it takes, I mean, if you were to practice regenerative agriculture like people like alan savory who's done amazing things over in africa it can reverse desertification right um but you you would actually you would save or a a farmer would save money because he's gonna he doesn't have to do all these steps like you don't have to plow you don't have to till you don't have to um throw on fertilizers um you can plant a cover crop that can uh, which is a nitrogen fixer to fix the soil and then you're kind of you're you're killing two birds with one stone. And there was, um, I think in the movie Kiss the Ground, which is a really good movie on regenerative ag, they state that if all the farmers in the USA embrace regenerative agriculture practices, farming the farming industry would save or a uh, hundred billion dollars per year. Wow. That's how many steps and factors you would miss out. And to me, it's like a no-brainer. It's like, why don't more people do it? Because the chemical companies would Mm -hmm. lose billions of dollars. Yeah. And fuel and um, technology. And like, you wouldn't need as many tractor parts and tractors. And That's right. Mm. That's right. And then the tractor companies would be upset. So Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So uh, industry controls a lot. Mm -hmm. and, And the farmer loses out. Yeah. There's more, there's more and more people coming online, I think, though. 
Yeah. Have you heard about copper, copper implements and what they do to the soil? No. Um, there was a guy back in about, I think in 1920s, 1930s, that did some research using copper implements and uh, crops grew bigger with hmm. copper because copper actually increased the flow of electrical energy in the soil. And that allowed the plants to tap into the electrical energy and grow bigger. And, and the iron implements that they were using actually broke the magnetic field in the soil and prevented the flow of nutrients to the plants. Hmm. And so there, I can't remember what country, it was either France or Bavaria. And, uh, but he contacted a plow manufacturer to manufacture copper plow blades um, and, you know, showed all his scientific research and what it was doing. And the government stepped in and said, we'll lose tax dollars if mm. you do this and stopped the manufacturer and yeah. ended it all. It's crazy. There's quite a few agricultural books that were published in like the 1920s, 1930s about electricity and how it um, helps crops grow. But all that research has stopped because there's no insane. money in it. <laughs> it drives me insane. <laughs> yeah, but it, there's so much, um, I guess what I'm saying is there's so much untapped potential for mm -hmm. agriculture there is. that 100 years ago was being researched and got shut down because of someone was going to lose money. Yeah. And that is still there for us to explore. It is. I think, I mean, they would maybe just lose money in the short term, but surely in the longer term, in the longer scheme of things, you would make it all back. Yeah. With higher yields and denser nutrition and, re, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I agree. Well, I don't think the farmers wouldn't have lost money. The farmers mm. would have made more, but industry, industry would lose it. Government taxation yeah. would lose it. And yeah, we could we could go on for yeah. a long time about that. <laughs> so what do you do on your ranch to regenerate? So you have the cows going, you kind of cycle them through. How so does that work? We use um, intensive grazing or it's called mob grazing. Um, so we have, for example, we will take a 10 acre pasture and we use... Um, electric fence units so the the one that we use is a gallagher unit and um we have two fences that run the whole length of the property that are plugged into the mains that are plugged into the the main unit and then we just run wires perpendicular to that to become live and then we can fence off these 10 acre pastures so we might put 50 cows in two acres which is a lot of cows but there is it's the rule of three you want them to eat a third leave a third and stomp a third so the third they eat they eat from the top it doesn't disrupt the root base if you eat any more than that then the roots will stop growing um stomping a third just adds to the organic matter and leaving a third is again it keeps the root base healthy and then we move them so we open a gate or a fence they move into the next bit then we take the fence from the back move it in front and we'll move them sometimes we, we move them four times a day sometimes we oh, move wow. them once a day it just kind of depends how big a paddock they're in but all that if they're they don't get to then selectively graze they're in there it's all edible they'll eat everything so they're also a form of weed control but then their outputs their 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 um urine and their poop is full of carbon and nitrogen, which is nourishing the soil. And when you increase the carbon content of the soil, you also increase the moisture holding capacity. I think it's something like for every 1% of carbon in your first 12 inches of soil, it's something like it will hold an extra 24,000 gallons of moisture. Wow. 
Yeah. So so then you're you're changing the soil structure too yeah. because it's it's holding more more moisture capacity and it'll hold it in a drought that we um. So that's all we've done so so far is using the cows. Like we have molasses on standby that we're going to spray molasses on, which will A, increase the bricks content, which is the sugar co- content, but it also helps break down any um, hay that's left on the ground. Because over winter, we bale graze. So we put lots of round bales out in bare areas and we use the same fencing and we'll fence the cows in an area with the round bales and they'll eat the round bales and all that leftover waste kind of helps cover the soil nourish the soil and as it breaks d- down it's putting everything back into into the soil so um if you've ever been on google earth and you know you, you can slide the slider and have a look at your mm-hmm. house you know five years ago or whatever we were just playing around with that and um it was in september and last september we were in a drought like it was awful like we had there was no moisture at all and in 2018 to 2021 it was greener, denser, lusher, looking at the Google Maps satellite image than it was in 2018. And it's wow. all, all it is, is the cows and bale grazing and mall grazing. And wow. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that must have felt cool. good. It did. Yeah. Because you're like, why Success. are we doing this? And then you're like, wow, I can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty Success. cool. So with the World Economic Forum promising that we're going to eat bugs and the governments around the world threatening to cut back nitrogen and and tax cows, what's your take on it? Oh, yeah. Uh, so There's so much there to pull out. Bugs, I I just can't. No, they're... <laughs> I can't Parasites, right? Yeah. And I think I've heard that if you're allergic to shellfish, you can't eat the bugs because it's the same crustacean. That's right. Um. The nitrogen tax or the carbon tax, I don't think it hasn't affected us yet. Like, if anything, I'm hoping that because we sequester carbon, we'll actually get a grant or get funding because, but there's so much misinformation there about how cows are ruining the planet. But um, yeah, it's just ridiculous. Like, it's so misinformed and people just lap this up and think, oh, cows are the enemy. We have to eat bugs. And it's just not true. Right. Right. (laughs) Absolutely not not true. true. (laughs) Not true. Yeah, I hear so, I like the whole thing about cow burps and cow farts being bad for the em- environment and we have to like stop them. And it's, and it's what people don't seem to understand is that cows are part of the biogenic carbon cycle and it's a 10 year cycle. And they're not actually introducing anything into the atmosphere that isn't already there. It's just this cyclic. So the carbon is in the plants, the cow eats the plants, it then burps and farts methane ch4 which goes up into the atmosphere where it attaches onto oxygen and you get co2 and h2o and then the co2 is taken in by the plants they give out oxygen the cows eat the carbon (laughs) methane comes again it's just this cycle and cycle and cycle whereas mining for i mean i come from the oil industry my dad worked in oil i mean like oil has been this huge part of our lives and i'm not against that per se but Mining for oil and mining for anything that's coming deep in the earth is introducing gases into the atmosphere that aren't there. And that's what's causing so much, so many issues. Transport, aviation, heating your house is all from these energy and gases that came that weren't here originally. Whereas cows just doing what it's always done. (laughs) And it's part of the biogenic cycle. Well, and lithium batteries. Mm, Like nobody's talking about lithium batteries when they say we need electric cars. But... Just mining the lithium is putting stuff into the atmosphere. Yeah, but it goes on a, a different t- 
table. It doesn't, it's not attached to that table. So they're fine. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. No, it's crazy. It is crazy. And then I think there was, um, there is satellite images during the COVID lockdowns and all the carbon dioxide and the heat signatures shrunk and everything was lovely and green and neutral and cows weren't on lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's it was right. people. There was no cars going anywhere. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. It's just, yeah. <laughs> so what's the funniest thing that's happened to you at the ranch? There was this lady up in Rossland who, um, she, she's, a, her husband had an awful accident. They were trying to downsize their herd. And Scott, he likes a good sob story, agreed to buy some bulls. So I think we were going to buy two bulls. And he went up there with our intern and the stock trailer. And it was a bit of a nightmare. And he came home with seven bulls, not two bulls, seven bulls. And we were told these things were only like 18 months old and they were easily handled and and everything. And it's like, there's no way they're 18 months. So we had built, we'd built a pen and we built a little chute with our panels and a catch pen going into the field where we were going to put the bulls. So as they came out of the trailer one by one, we would stick them in the squeeze. We would tag them. We would band them. So we use a bander to castrate. We don't use a knife. And we would put an ear tag in. So the first one came out and he goes into the squeeze. And I'm on one side of the squeeze all by myself and the other two on the other side. And this cow's eye, this bull, his eyes roll to the back of his head and he drops in the squeeze. He drops down. And I'm like, Scott, he's not right. Like, I, th- I don't think he can breathe. He was too big for the squeeze. Like, he's not a two-year-old bull. So we let him off and he comes to and he freaks out and he shrieks out so much. The side of the squeeze falls off. He leaps out of it where I'm standing. There's no one else there. And I've never run so fast in my life. I ran. I could hear this bull (laughs) breathing and bellowing and stomping and I'm running for my life. And then I'm like, what am I doing? So then I turned around because it's a, a gooseneck stock trailer. So it comes up into the bed of the truck and I ran under that and into the back of the truck while he just went flying past me and I'm like oh my heart was racing (laughs) so then we're like oh holy crap that was awful and like I'm calming down I'm calming down I'm like okay we just give me a moment so then we the the next two are done kind of okay another one come comes out and we get him in in the squeeze and before he even has his head in like the head hold he freaks out the side falls off he comes leaping out I mean this one had horns and I'm like can I swap places with someone (laughs) like I can't do this anymore but at least this time I knew to run into the truck I didn't have to like double back on myself it was like oh my god that's it over Over. <laughs> Not what you signed up for. No, my God. Thank God I can run fast. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh. And you thought that was funny? Now. <laughs> Not so much then, but now it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the things happen. <laughs> Is ranching all work and no play? No, uh, not at all. Like it's, we definitely work hard and we keep crazy hours, but um, we definitely have fun on the ranch. And I love it that the kids get involved. And like, if we're doing a big branding day, friends come and neighbors come and the kids are there and we'll do like a big brisket. And um, yeah, it's fun. And also if the kids are sick, I'm at home and we don't have to find daycare or holiday care during the summer holidays. Like it's, we, we made this move for the kids and I love it. I don't, I don't, I maybe miss the yachts a little bit, but I don't regret it. <laughs> Do you ever get back to the ocean? We haven't, not since we moved. Oh, no. wow. So many lakes around here, though. So let's talk about branding. You do branding a little bit different than most ranches. We do. So everything we do, we try and keep it low stress. Um, and we don't. I don't want to knock on what other people do, but 
as Scott says, one of the most expensive things that you can ever say in ranching is because that's how we've always done it. <laughs> and they don't want to change. So we we don't hot brand, we freeze brand. So we have these big vats of liquid nitrogen that um, WestGen fills up every time they drive past. And um, our brand is only registered as a freeze brand. Um, and it's made from a special metal. And I couldn't tell you what it is. It's some coated something or other. And we put liquid nitrogen. So we have to shave the cow, squirt it with alcohol. And then we hold on the freeze brand for 22 seconds. And they don't scream. They don't squeal. Like, I'm sure it's not comfortable. It's like having a wart frozen off. But there's no bellowing. There is no stomp. Like, there's just... They don't display pain like you would think they would pain. And there's no infection afterwards, nothing. It doesn't break break the skin, but the hair grows back white. Oh, nice. Yeah. So so it's like a... It kills the follicles. Yeah, yeah. but it's non-painful and... I'm not sure it's non-painful, but it's not... I'm sure it's uncomfortable. I mean, I've had a wart <laughs> frozen off. It doesn't hurt, but it feels uncomfortable. So I'm sure... But like even the calves would go in there and they don't... They're not stressing because it hurts. So I think it's lower stress than other types. Nice. Um, nice. And we don't castrate either. We have we have a lot of p- people asking us if we sell testicles. And I'm like, you don't want our testicles once they're done. Because we use, it's called a calicrate bander. And it's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Endorsed by Temple Grandin. She says okay. it's the most humane method, um, stress-free, no infection. And it's this really high tensile rubber band. And it's this little caliper there's a reel of me trying to do it on instagram and i was it was yeah i got so many views but it's um you drop the, the testicles drop into the the band and then it's like a caliper that winds and it when it gets to a certain tension it breaks and that's meant to give the exact tension needed for those to kind of lose blood supply and they drop off there is no infection there's no discomfort the dogs are very happy after three weeks when you see them running around with mouthfuls of testicles. That's maybe one of the funniest things too. <laughs> <laughs> they think they're treats. But uh, yeah, so it's um, all been endorsed by Temple Grandin and the Humane Society and things like that. So it's, I, I love think that it's your, your cows are, are treated so well. Best, best food in the world, best treatment <laughs> in the world. Happy cows, yeah. So... You raise beef. You are sold out now till April. That mm-hmm. That's amazing. We're recording this at the beginning of November. Mm-hmm. And you're sold out till April. April 2023. There was this crazy week in August that um, we were getting sent pictures uh, of empty shelves in Kamloops and empty shelves in Kelowna and on the island and Burnaby. And one person said, oh, it's because of a freezer issue. And it's like, well, it can't be a freezer issue if it's like every single Walmart and superstore, like in the lower mainland, like it was some kind of supply and distribution issue. And um, we sold out, I think this was August and we sold out, we had a couple of spots left for September and they went. And then I think in less than 30 hours, we were sold out till February. Wow, and now you're sold out. Now till we're sold out until April. April 2023 for bulk. So bulk is quarter size and whole. Uh, we allocate so many carcasses for our stock every month. So even if someone wanted to order now ten pounds a ground, they're looking at probably January. Wow, yeah, it's all wow. all booked up. That's mm. that's good though. It, it yeah, it's fun. Um, I don't know if you, there's another amazing regenerative ranch called uh, White Oak Pastures. Okay, they're down in the states and they're huge. Um. 
they're like really big and they they do things with Alan Savory and all 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 sorts. And he did a post about he perceives there will be a food shortage, but it's not a shortage of food; it's a shortage of supply and supply and distribution. And that kind of I was like, yeah, I can totally see that. We're not going to run out of food, but we're going to run out of how to get food to people. Right. Especially with right now, um, I think the U.S. has a 20 day supply left of diesel Mm. as we're recording this. So unless something changes, there's not going to be diesel Mm. to fuel the trucks or the trains. Yeah. Yeah. But probably everyone has local food if they just can get in touch with their local farmers and um, figure out how to get the food buy and support local and seasonal like it absolutely yeah we definitely need to embrace that that's something that we we shout that from the rooftops is embrace local and seasonal like in this time where i feel there's this big almost attack on the meat industry or for people who eat meat and it's all it's meatless and plant-based versus being a carnivore or an omnivore but i think i wish people would just turn that on a slant like change the nuance slightly and it's not meat versus meatless because a meatless and a plant-based diet is still awful for the environment like it's right. still it's full of monocrops which are awful for the environment or or you're you're synthesizing supplements or you're sh- shipping foods from asia like it's it's no better at all really if you delve into it but by kind of turning that on its head slightly and instead of meat versus meatless it's regenerative versus not regenerative it's local seasonal versus exported i think changing it slightly then we would have i don't know i think the world like the supply would change the money would change like everything would change like it would just be hugely more beneficial to everyone and so we're living in canada and canada definitely has four seasons Mm -hmm. and there's a period where most food is not produced our stores will start importing very soon from Mexico, South America. Mm-hmm. And and that's the point where people that are are supporting local and doing seasonal won't have to buy food anymore because they have been stocking up while the yeah. food's available. And that's really one of the things we encourage is that people buy local and preserve the food. Yeah. And canning and blanching and and dehydrating and freeze drying and mm-hmm. getting it in storage so that uh, when that season comes where it's not available locally anymore, well, it is. You just go to your pantry and yeah. you you can save three or four months worth of groceries if you manage your food supply that way. It's a dying dying skill. Like I remember, I'm I'm from Scotland and I'm. 44 <laughs> and um i remember being sat with my mom in our living room wrapping apples from the apple tree in magazine paper a Catavy magazine paper glossy and putting them in the cold storage under the house boxes and boxes of of apples so we had apples all year round like all right. all uh, winter and we had a win a winter garden so root vegetables and our freezer was full of we didn't can, really. We would blanch and freeze. So you would blanch them and freeze them. And we would have broccoli and broad beans and cauliflower and runner beans and pickled beet, uh, we, pickled beets and onions and things. Yeah. 
Canning is more of a, a U.S. Canadian so. thing because mm-hmm. during the wars, they had a whole government subsidies to do the research on the canning and to mm. produce it. Interesting. And, and so that kind of um, just moved into people just learned to do it. I mean, mm. even in back in like the 1930s, 1940s, you learned to can in school. Okay, yeah, it's and, not, it's not, it's yeah. not it's so in did. Europe, they don't even have the jars, right, no. for yeah. canning, like we still have them here. So a side of beef is a pretty big thing if you've never gotten a side of beef before. Mm-hmm. It can be kind of scary bringing the boxes home or the bags <laughs> home and realizing how much freezer space it takes yeah. up. So let's talk a bit about that. How can someone manage if they say they wanted a quarter of a beef or a side of a beef? How much freezer space does that take? So we we recommend that or we um, inform that a quarter cow would last a family of four approximately two to three months, give or take. So a quarter cow is anywhere between four cubic feet to six cubic feet in the freezer. It depends on the size of the carcass. Um, our our quarter size and whole, it's the same cut sheet and the same cuts because we do a mixed quarter. It's not hind or front. It's half a side, essentially. So you get half the front and half and half the hind. Um, so a side is roughly double that. Um, the butcher... He kind of minimizes bones and things, but uh, is 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 roughly double. So a side would normally last a family of four, perhaps six months. Um, is between six and ten, or six and eight cubic feet. Um, and then a whole cow double again. We have people who are buying whole cows, and we're like, we're splitting it between three families. I'm like, you'd probably be better off buying a quarter each than splitting a whole cow. You're not going to get that much like I think people think a quarter is bigger than it is so if you don't have the freezer space and you can we have families who literally book a quarter every three months and they're taking four quarters a year because we do this so often it's not like we only do it in October and you have to buy a whole cow we do this every month so we we're not a traditional ranch in that we we raise um, pairs and we send calves to the auction. We don't send anything to auction. We don't calve all at once either. We don't uh, calve um, in February like everyone else does. We're still, we didn't drop our last calf until August so that we have a steady supply of beef all year round. So we're processing every month um, so that people can buy more frequently if they don't have the freezer space so with you selling out though people who want a quarter should book the whole every quarter they need now right they can do yeah we have we're having more and more people doing that right now um this is the first year we've been booked out this much in advance like it's, it's amazing um but yeah we're we're recommending people that get if you feel feel that you you, you want bulk beef next year get a deposit in now you can always cancel it we're saying you can cancel um 30 days from processing so from um if you're due to get your beef at the end of april you would have to cancel it by like mid-march so that the cow hasn't actually gone in yet um or you can always push it back and say well i'm not quite ready yet can we move that a month and i'm like sure we'll just switch two people or we'll advertise your spot or Something like that. Like it's easy to do it that way, but if you're in a panic and you want it now, then hmm, you got to kind of book ahead right now. <laughs> That's great. That's yeah. great. That's how every farmer should be. So let's talk a bit about cooking. 
you get the beef in your freezer or the quarter or side. Some cuts are tougher than other cuts. How do you manage that as a mom? As a mom. Um, so I love slow cooking the tougher cuts. I say they're not tough. It's just they have a more connective tissue in the membrane around them. But like everybody wants a sirloin or everybody wants a tenderloin or a prime rib, but there's only so many of them in a cow. Right. Some of my favorite cuts are the ones that you don't really get in the store. Like I love a skirt steak. A skirt steak is from the plate. So it's uh, if you're on all th- fours it's below your neck but in front of your belly like it's the plate here the chest um and it's super marble and it's got a beautiful fat cap and you normally buy it and it's rolled up and you have to unroll it so it's quite flat and i throw them on the barbecue with just salt pepper garlic olive olive oil we bring them off we slice it up and we have friends are going wow this is amazing like what is this and we're like it's a skirt steak and they're like excuse me? And we're like, it's just a skirt steak. And they're like, a skirt, like the cheapest cut. And I'm like, yes, but it's delicious. And I still have a friend who was here this summer and she, and she still texts me going, it was just a skirt steak. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it was just a skirt steak. Like, and the same with Chuck and Flank. Like there are these cuts that people are like, Chuck steak. Oh, and I'm like, Chuck steak is one of the best steaks. Like it's so underrated. The butcher cuts it as an eye of Chuck. So he takes out the bone it's beautifully marbled, but it does have that connective tissue. So when you're preparing a chuck steak, it's not a steak you would throw on a plate and say, have at it with a knife and fork because you're not going to en- enjoy it. But if you pre-slice it and serve it pre-sliced, people, will, you've already cut through that connective t- tissue. So you want to slice it against the grain. So not with the grain, but against the grain. And then it just melts in your mouth. So you cook it first and then you cook slice it. it. Yeah. I like it rare. Like I like everything rare rare to raw which isn't everyone's cup of tea but the more you cook it the tougher it gets like if it is these lesser cuts having it rare and let it rest resting is often key you take it off and you let it rest for 10 minutes and then you slice it and there is someone did and they did like a a display of a steak taken off straight away and sliced and all that liquid just falls out a steak resting and then sliced and all that liquid is retained so it's much more moist and tender than one that's cut straight away nice there's no bad cut of beef. <laughs> They're all good. <laughs> so you've got a podcast, Respect the Beef. Respect the Beef, yes. And how long has that been going? Um, a couple of years. Um, well, we maybe do like eight episodes a season. And I found that I can never do them over summer because summer is just so busy. So it's kind of um, October through to April. And then we kind of, I'll record some, but they don't go live. But it was... Um, it was a couple of years ago when uh, I first noticed all this advertising and information coming at you from all d- directions about meat is bad and plant-based this and plant-based that. And I'm like, this, like, it's, no, this is wrong. And um, I'm like, who's fighting for us? Who's, who is fighting for the rancher, uh, the producer? Like, surely we should have a lobbyist in our corner and um, the Calamans Association was kind of there. And I called up, I called up Canada Beef and I said, what the hell is going on? Like, you are Canada Beef. And they're like, well, we we've, we have these ad campaigns. And I'm like, well, they're not working because I've never seen one. And I would think I'd be your target audience because I'm a meat eater and everything. I, you know, I'm looking at meat r- recipes. I'm looking up cuts. I'm looking at whatever. And I've never seen a targeted ad for anything that you do. Yeah, I'm seeing stuff about how beef is bad and like this isn't good enough. And um, 
they were I mean like they're I can't remember what his he was like head of something the guy that called me back so I'm like I took it into into my own hands and started a podcast on respect the beef and I we've interviewed um ex-vegans and we've I've interviewed this ex-vegan butcher so he's a butcher but he used to be a vegan and he was amazing um some amazing chefs um some regenerative agriculturalists uh, other ranchers who do things differently um it's kind of cool it sounds cool it gets a voice out there <laughs> sounds cool it's so important to mm. have another voice I think so out there so how can our listeners who don't live here connect with other beef ranchers? Is there, um, is there some place online that they can go to that? Um, depending where they are, like there's, um, Instagram's a great place. Everyone is on Instagram now. Like Instagram is, um, has the most reach out of any of these new social media platforms. And nearly every ranch I know has some kind of Instagram account for selling their beef and for day-to-day day -day life. Um, there's databases um, like um, Shop Gaday, G-apostrophe-D-A-Y. And they're trying to connect producers with people all across Canada and like the Northeast USA. Um, there's Smart Locavore, which is another database um, who are trying to like connect consumers with ranchers um, or consumers with producers. They don't just do um, meats, they do soaps and um, all kinds of things. Like if you produce it, then you can use them to sell to someone who wants it. So there's lots of online databases and just a Google Google ranches in your area. Like it's, you might not re realize as a rancher, he may not sell beef like we sell beef, but he may cull his herd every October and he'll sell a side of beef to a friend. That's how we used to buy it at the coast. It was, was never advertised. It was just, do you have any beef this year? And he's like, sure, I have some. And then we would have a half, half a beef. So yeah, there's Google, Instagram, your local farmer's markets. Yeah, there's loads of ways to do it. Are there specific questions that our listeners should ask if they're just meeting a rancher and wondering if they're regenerative or um i mean obviously i think regenerative and grass-fed is the best way but at the end of the day i think we need to keep on eating beef like i don't think we can be prejudiced against cheaper grain-fed beef and like if you can afford to have grass-fed which is a little bit more expensive because of how it's raised then amazing but i don't want to deter someone who maybe can't afford to buy beef from not eating beef like I think as long as you're eating beef beef is amazing <laughs> and it all comes from a ranch somewhere but if you're wanting um to look I think you'd have to ask are they grass-fed and finished or are they just grass-fed because all cattle are grass-fed is how they're finished which is like the the key are they grain supplemented or are they grain finished and do they end up in in a feedlot and if you're buying from a rancher from his ranch they probably don't end up in a feedlot they're probably at home they're probably supplemented whereas a right. feedlot they, they normally go to like a bigger producer some places in the states i know they have their own feedlots on their ranch like it's their feedlot but can't here in bc i don't know many who do that so you were one time a vegetarian yourself i was yes <laughs> so what convinced you to want to be a rancher and love beef um i was a vegetarian not because I didn't like eating meat, but I didn't like how animals destined for my plate were treated. Like I was a very sensitive late teens, early twenties, whatever. And um, 
I wasn't very sensitive, but I was very passionate about animal welfare. And if my, I mean, I've said I, I'm from Scotland. If my dad or my brother shot a pheasant, I would happily eat it because it had a great life. It was out in the wild and then boom, he's not. But he didn't know that. Like it's a great death. I mean, it's ethical. It's, there's no pain involved. And I would eat it. It'd be lovely. But I couldn't eat a chicken from a battery farm or some poor pig who's lived in a cage. Like I just didn't like the way a lot of animals were treated. And I think that everything is not how they, it's not the fact that they die, it's how they live. And I think if you're going to eat meat, like we are omnivores. Like I know people be like, no, we can all be plant-based, but can we really? <laughs> that um, as long as the animals had an amazing life and it has one bad day, then you owe it to yourself to honor the sacrifice by eating it. Does that make sense? Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So like, absolutely. I, yeah. So um, that I still struggle, like sorting day, I have a good cry and a glass of wine because <laughs> it, it does affect me. And I think when it d- doesn't, that's when we have to stop right. doing this. Like right. we're very empathic. Um, but yeah, like nature is, I can't say cruel because that implies intent. Nature is violent and harsh and like an animal, like <laughs> I'm really b- bad that when I get the vegangelists we'll call them on our ranch page who are going on about how mean we are and how cruel we are and how all these animals deserve to live I tag them in posts on another page called nature is metal and it's all about how violent nature is and it'll be some lion carrying a half-eaten monkey in its mouth with the baby still attached to the monkey you know what I mean like oh which is awful but it's nature like the lion doesn't care he isn't doing that to be cruel he needs to feed his family or to feed himself like it's nature so I don't know, having a lovely, ethical, happy cow that has one bad day on the way to freezer camp, I think is way kinder than being ripped apart by coyotes in the field or a cougar or dying of old age. Like, I don't think that's any better either because then they starve and their functions fall over and they're not, it's not a nice death. Like, it's awful, but we kind of anthropomorphize these animals with a, a human energy and you just can't do that. They're not human. Right. Right. I hope we don't start eating humans. Oh. <laughs> Shudder. I'd, I'd Shudder. much rather eat beef. <laughs> I think I'd go vegan. <laughs> yeah. For eating a person. <laughs> or yeah. Soylent Green. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any new projects in the works? So um, because we're sold out until um, April 2023, we were kind of wondering how do we keep the, the momentum going? Like how do we kind of make this work? Because we worked so hard building... Um, a network and a customer base and we have uh, something like 2,000 customers where which is pretty up there for BC Uh, someone told us the other day that we're the largest direct to market beef producer like people hear about us all the time yeah which is amazing um well, so, you, you do deliveries all the way to Vancouver, right? Yeah. So from Vancouver to Nelson. And we have done some beyond Nelson if it's a big enough order, like not for 10 pounds a ground, but maybe for a whole cow, we have gone to like Creston and things. So um, I had this harebrained idea about using our network and using, because we have this mailing list that goes out from our um, website and we have all our followers on Instagram and Facebook, that why don't we use that and leverage that to help other producers so Scott was like sure that sounds like a great idea we'll look into that but I'm super impulsive and 
impatient maybe a little bit. So that was Friday night. By Saturday morning, I already had a post <laughs> already and loaded and up. And it, I think it went live at 6 a.m. Saturday morning. And by 11 a.m., I was having coffee in Deadwood with a lamb producer from up Christian Valley. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> that, that it was just like, oh, my goodness. And she had um, she had five lambs that she'd had to have pr- processed because she had the slots, but she didn't have any bu- bu- buyers. So she's been trying to sell them. And I'm like, well, let me sell them for you. And I stuck them on the online store and they went um, that evening or that afternoon when I got home. I just put them on the online store, uh, sent out a newsletter, and they went in 43 minutes. And then she was like, wow, that was amazing. Like, really? And I then, remember that newsletter. Yeah. and Because then, I tried to get one of those lambs, and they didn't exist by the no. time I got there. Well, then she says, well, I have 12 live ones that are going in on the 12th of November. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll stick them up. So that morning, I put the 12 live ones on. I miss those, too. Yeah. They went in 20 <laughs> minutes. In yeah. 20 minutes, they went boom, 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 and they're all gone. Um, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> and then we have a, a pork producer from up um, the North Fork um, where we had we put on pork in December. I think eight pork for December and 10 pork for January. And we only have nine sides left. So what's that? Four and a half cows? Four and a half pig? That's um, amazing. Uh, the chicken producers that I found, they're all from regenerative chicken tractors. So they're all these meat birds that live in a chicken tractor and get moved around pastures, which nourishes the soils with boron and aerates the soils with their scratching. And um, it, they're great. And then they s- sell them. So I'm selling them. And they've gone as well. We had 50 of them for November and they've all gone. And That's amazing. So um, we're, we're making a little bit, but it's more just to keep the momentum going. And we've had so many of our customers going, this is great. Like, I want to buy from you. And it was, it was to kind of help producers who maybe don't have that network or don't have the ability to get things to people beyond their locality. Like, I still think if you're in Kelowna, selling to Vancouver is still local like you're still BC yep. and you're still, still BC but but they maybe can't get there they don't have the network so we'll deliver this stuff with our beef and we have the big walk-in freezer which is empty right now that we can store some stuff too so yeah it's kind That's of really great. taken off yeah and and you're all re- ready making the trip so there's no increase in mm. carbon or anything no we're making the trip already anyway. making the trip that's great that's great. And all the people that are buying from you then don't have to drive out here to your farm mm-hmm. to get it because you're delivering. So yeah. That's amazing. Before we leave, is there anything else you want to say? Don't stop eating beef. <laughs> Buy local, support lo- local. Some, um, was there not some statistic that for every $100 spent locally, 60 goes back into the community, whereas if you're spending it in Walmart... You don't see any of that. That's right. So buying local, you're creating jobs for local people and you're putting 60% of that revenue back into lo- local e- economies. So it's it's a win-win all around. That's great. Thanks so much, Amy. Thank you. That's been amazing. <laughs> so we always like to leave our listeners with one action that they can take, a positive action. So I would like to encourage you today to get online and find out who your local beef producers are or or other meat producers and make a plan to connect with them and see what they have to offer that you might need. So today we've been talking to Amy Hay of Waikikahay Ranch in British Columbia. 
So thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, check the show notes and uh, connect with Amy. Check out her podcast. Check out her Instagram account. All the links are in the show notes. And as always, if you like this episode, please share it with someone you like. And remember to like and subscribe. Bye for now.